Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Oh, you think you're going after all these people, and you are, but really, you're coming after me. Jesus even told his followers leading up to his death, he gave all his disciples the heads up. He says, listen, this world, because of your association with me, this world will hate you. This world will persecute you. But take heart. The things that they do to you, they're not doing it to you. They're doing it to me. They're doing it because of me. And you're like, but I'm the one feeling it. Um, he's like, yeah, it's, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. Blessed are the persecuted. How many times have you let people's actions or words dictate what you think? Sometimes we don't say what's in our heads because we know it goes against the grain. But Pastor James reminds us today that being a Christian means that you will be persecuted. The very core of Christianity goes against the grain. If the world is screaming something that doesn't sit right with you, it's probably for a good reason. So don't go along with everything else just to fit in. When they find out what you believe, there's no explaining it away. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Amazing grace. If I could sum up this chapter in, in two words, amazing grace. If I could sum up doing a funeral for my dad, who basically for most of my life, I hated the guy. I hated him. What two words would I? Amazing grace. How do you do a funeral for your dad? It's grace. It's grace. How can I stand before family? It's the grace of God. That's all it is. That's all I can say. It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus. That's it. So let's look at Paul. He's going to be Paul, not yet, but uh, let's look at his, his little conversion story here. Just so you're aware, context-wise, when we last left off, we were dealing with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip went, and he was in Samaria. He preached there, and there was a revival, and it was amazing, and God told him, all right, get out of this town that has just exploded with the gospel, and tons of people are getting saved, tons of people are getting baptized, and I need you to go into the wilderness to this desert road where you're going to minister to one person. But no, this is where all the stuff is happening. Philip didn't argue. He just went. He just went. And there was the Ethiopian eunuch who was headed back home. Uh, Philip caught up with him in his chariot, asked him if he understood what he was reading. He was reading from, uh, from Isaiah. And the eunuch says, listen, I, I how am I supposed to understand with this unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip hopped on the chariot, explained it to him. This guy got baptized and rode away praising God, and then Philip was transported to another town, okay? And then that's where it leaves off. So chapter 9 picks up right there. So you got a lot of momentum. The gospel is spreading out from Jerusalem. It's growing. It, they're going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, working their way to the other ends of the earth, or however you want to say that, the remotest parts of the world. But in order for the gospel to get from Judea and Samaria to the furthest parts of the world, you need chapter 9 to happen because Paul is absolutely essential for that last step. And God knows this. This is why his timing is perfect. His timing is absolutely perfect. Why didn't Paul get saved when Jesus died on the cross or right afterwards and all this stuff? Because it wasn't time. 
It wasn't time. This is when he needed to meet Jesus. Verse 1, chapter 9. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, or he was breathing these threats. Uh, it's, it's a continual thing. Everything that came out of his mouth was threats concerning the church, how he wants to destroy this, quote unquote, the way, all right? So everything that was coming out of his mouth from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was in his heart was hatred towards believers. Everything he was speaking was negative. And how he wants to wipe out this remnant of people. They're, as far as he's concerned, Jesus is dead and gone. Okay, You need to understand that about the Apostle Paul in this moment in his life. He believes that Jesus, the, the originator of what they would call a cult, is dead and, in, and is buried somewhere in Judea in a tomb. Okay, Because they stole his body. And they must have hit him somewhere else. That's how Saul is functioning. So the leader is gone. The head has been chopped off, so to speak. Now it's time just to kill the body. That's his goal. That's his ambition. And he's doing it all for God. He's doing it all for God. In his mind and in his heart, he thinks, I'm doing great things for God. It says he was eager to destroy the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's what they would refer to these guys as. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. This guy is so set on destroying this movement that he is willing to travel by foot 200 miles north. It's going to take him, it's, that's a total of 60 hours of walking. Okay, you can look on Google Maps. How far does it take you to walk from Jerusalem to Damascus? It's going to take you about 60 hours. Okay, uh, I don't know if that's accounting for stops, because you're going to have to stop, because that's 200 miles. But he is willing to go 200 miles out of his comfort zone, so to speak. Uh, Jerusalem is his headquarters. It's not where he was born. Uh, we'll get into some of those details later on. But He's willing to go into Damascus, which isn't even in Israel, right there on the border, to arrest men and women who are part of this way, and to drag them back 200 miles and lock them in prison in Jerusalem. He is absolutely focused on this first missionary journey. This is his first missionary journey. I know that he has a missionary journey, and we all understand that he had two, there's three missionary journeys. But really, for Saul, this is his first missionary journey. He's a missionary. This one, he's a missionary of destruction. He's, he's out to destroy the church. And he's, he's like, listen, I'll go wherever. I'll go as far as I need to go in order to bust up this, this group of individuals who are totally blaspheming God. And he got permission from the high priest to go. And the high priest said, I don't know how this works in, in this world and, and at this point in time, but apparently the high priest had tremendous jurisdiction because he could write these letters that even expand beyond their boundaries. And he's like, yeah, Paul, you name it. Where do you want to go? I'll sign off. Go get him. 
Go get them. Paul was like, he was the, the head of the class, so to speak. He was the perfect student. He, he had so much potential. I'm, I'm going to keep saying Paul because that's who he is. But when they knew him as Saul, the, the religious leaders loved this guy. Probably around 30 years old at this point in time. Had so much potential. Uh, part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he, he, had, he was like the best student. I studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he was the absolute best. Where do you want to go, Paul? Saul, I'll sign off on it. And he did. And so he heads that direction. He starts this journey, him and a few other guys, they make this 200-mile journey up north, which is just absolutely beautiful in Israel. That northern part is absolutely beautiful. There's mountains. There's trees everywhere. It snows there sometimes. That's horrible. But it does, and it looks nice and picturesque, right? Like from a distance, snow is cool. There's rivers that are running down from the mountains up there. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. So he's got this very just splendid walk up north, and he is gung-ho to go get these guys. It says, verse 3, he was nearing Damascus on this mission. See, right there. He's nearing Damascus on this mission. He has almost arrived. A brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down on him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I I love this. This This actually goes perfectly with a lot of other calls from the Bible. Reading through the Bible this year, I hope you're still sticking with it. Uh, started the book of Exodus this morning, actually, and the call to Moses from the burning bush. Moses, Moses, repeat it to get your attention, because God sometimes needs to do that for us, because I don't know about you, but I don't always hear the first time. And if I do, I always confuse it with something else, kind of like Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli. What do you want? What do you want? He's like, I can call you. What are you talking about? Go back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. No, no, Eli, what do you want? Eli smartened up and he's like, no, dude, I think God's calling you. I love that about Samuel because he didn't get it. I mean, he's a kid, so right? But he didn't get it right away. But here's Saul, Saul, Saul. And he nails him. This light, John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Jesus told all his audience there, I'm the light of the world. And this light of the world who is seated at the right hand of the Father is beaming down on Saul. I mean, a a tremendously uncomfortable spotlight has now illuminated on Saul. He's got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And from heaven, he hears Jesus. He sees Jesus. He hears Jesus call out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't sense, and you could read this a whole different way, I don't sense any anger or hostility in this question from Jesus, which is impressive, which is what makes that grace so amazing. Because here's Jesus, who Saul saw standing there holding all the coats to the guys who are picking up the rocks and killing Stephen. The heavens opened up. Stephen looked up. I see the Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Like, or he's there. And there's Jesus. And that whole story is just beautiful in and of itself. And how Jesus actually is even standing there saying, you know, well, there to receive him in. You would think with all the issues that Saul has caused for the body, because we understand this, it's not an organization, it's an organism, the church is. 
And so when you're attacking the church, you are attacking Jesus. You're attacking his body. You're attacking his bride, which we all know is a big no-no. But here's Jesus from heaven calling out to Saul, the chief most persecutor of all the church, why are you persecuting me? Saul, what are you doing? Why are you so mad? Why are you persecuting me? I love this little conversation that kind of happens. I mean, it's more of a monologue than a dialogue because Saul's, I mean, he, he does respond, but look how this kind of plays out. Saul's only question is, well, who are you? Your translation may say, Lord, who are you, Lord? Or, or another way, New Living Translation says, who are you, sir? Like, um, so I'm sorry, but who are you? The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Oh, you think you're going after all these people, and you are, but really, you're coming after me. Jesus even told his followers leading up to his death, he gave all his disciples the heads up. He said, listen, this world, because of your association with me, this world will hate you. This world will persecute you. But take heart. The things that they do to you, they're not doing it to you. They're doing it to me. They're doing it because of me. And you're like, but I'm the one feeling it. Um, he's like, oh, it's, it'll be OK. It'll be all right. Blessed are the persecuted. But Jesus is saying, listen, hey, um, Saul, you want to know who I am? Well, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Verse 6, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you're to do. This is beautiful how, how simple this call is. We think sometimes a calling from God has to be like this complex kind of thing or a well-spelled-out thing, like give me, give me the 10-year plan, God, or, or even a five-year plan. That would be cool. And he's like, no, no, no. Um, how about you just do this? Get up, go into the city where you were headed to mess with my kids, and, uh, and just wait. And just wait. I'll tell you what to do next. And that's frustrating, right? That's like maddening at times for us, especially in the world where we live, where it's like, no, I, I need plans. I need plans. Because if I don't have a good, well-thought-out plan, then that means I'm disorganized. And I don't want anybody to think I'm disorganized. Well, that's not always the case. You can only provide what you have. And if God shows up in your life calling you, and says, OK, here's what I want you to do. Go into Damascus. All right, check. And just hang out there. Oh, OK, but what next? Well, I'll tell you later. Well, no, I need to know now, because what if people ask me questions? Well, no, I'll tell you when you get there. Well, that's not good enough. Well, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. I'm God. Uh, you know, when he, when he illuminates the path in front of us, it's generally step by step. Okay, he may blast the floodlight on it and show you what it's going to look like from here to whenever he could choose to do it that way. But I find oftentimes when I'm following the Lord and just walking, it's just like, okay, where do I go now? Boom, light. Okay, I'll step there. Where do I go now? Boom, light. I don't like working that way, if I'm honest, but that's just how he does it. And he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows, like, no, you get one step at a time, James. You get, well, I know what you want, but what you need is one step at a time. That's what you need. Love, it's simple. It's three things. What do you want me to do? OK, well, get up. Uh, OK, that's easy. I can get up. Uh, go into the city. You're almost there. All right, I'll go do that. And then, uh, and then just wait for further instruction. OK, that sounds simple. That sounds simple. That's kind of the beauty of following Jesus, too. 
I hope you've heard his call in your life. I hope you've heard that where he's, you may not get a, a light beam from heaven, okay? So if you're waiting on that, I, I would encourage you not to wait on that, okay? Um, it's happened once, all right? Once. As far as we know, this has happened once. Uh, he, he has different ways of showing up in, in this calling. For Moses, it was a burning bush that was consumed with fire, but it wasn't burning, okay? Like, how often has that happened? Once, all right? But I hope you have heard him show up in your life at the right time, and he say, and he, he maybe whispers your name. Maybe he whispers your name. I remember that. I was 19. Man, I remember that as clear as today as if, as if it was yesterday. James, James, what are you doing? What are you chasing after? What are you looking for? You know I have everything you are looking for. You know what's found in me. OK, what do you want me to do? Get up, go into that town, and wait for further instruction. OK, 20 years later. Still doing the same thing. Still doing the same thing. I hope that you have heard that. Uh, for me, why at 19? Well, that's when God worked it out. That's when I would be probably at the right point in my life where I needed to receive that. Why for you when it happened to you? I don't know. God's in control. That's all I know. Why hasn't it happened yet for your loved one and some that you're broken over? I don't know. But I know this. God desires everyone to have a Damascus Road experience where they see him and hear him and follow him. That's what happens with Saul. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. And he followed Jesus. He was saved. Right here, he is saved. There's some debate about, like, well, was it later when he got back? No, no, no. This dude is surrendered. I want you to understand that. Read through the text. This guy is absolutely surrendered to him. He's surrendered. He's given up. Baptism is going to come later. He's going to do all that stuff. The hands are going to be laid on him, filled with the Holy Spirit, all that stuff. We'll see that here in a second. But I want you to know, at this moment, this is the surrender of Saul. This is his surrender. This is that conversion moment for him. That's all it has to be. That's as simple as that. Jesus shows up, speaks to you, and you say, OK, what do you want me to do? Boom, that's it. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Confess in your mouth. I mean, it's, it's, it's so beautifully simple. It is beautifully simple that even kids can do it. You want to follow Jesus? Well, do you believe he died on the cross for you and God raised him from the dead? Yeah, sweet. All right. Just say, OK, Jesus, tell me what to do. I want to follow you. We complicate it sometimes. Proof is in the pudding, right? We know that. But we know from Paul's life, uh, and he'll reference this story a few times throughout the rest of the letters that he writes, he backed it up with his actions. He was a changed man, totally transformed, totally transformed. The men who were with Saul, his company there, it says, stood speechless with surprise. Of course they would be. They're like, where'd this light come from? Uh, what's that noise? And what has happened to Saul? It says they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. That's a, an interesting distinction in, in this story, because here you have Saul, 
And I don't know how many guys he has with him on this journey, but Jesus singles out Saul in this moment. Now, the other people that were with him, they could see a light and they could hear a noise. They don't know what's going on. For Saul, he saw the light, Jesus. He heard his voice audibly, and he surrendered. These other guys are like, dude, what's going on? There's this bright light. There's some noise. But we don't understand because we couldn't hear it. We don't know what's going on. And now Saul's like, we don't know what's wrong with this guy. So sometimes you have your moment, and sometimes other people are going to have their calling moment. And sometimes it happens in a harvest kind of crusade type environment where lots of people see the light and hear the voice. And sometimes not at all. What matters? The Lord's timing. The Lord's timing. Do these guys end up getting saved? I have no clue. I don't even know who they are. I have no clue. You'll find out in heaven. You'll see a handful of guys following Paul around or something. I don't know. And you'll be like, wait, were you guys with him on Damascus Road? I don't know how all that works out, but I do find it interesting that that scripture would note that there was guys there. They saw something happening. They heard something happening, but they had no clue as to what was really happening. They had no clue. So Saul, verse 8, he picked himself up off the ground. He found that he was blind. So his companions, now they're a part of the journey still. I mean, they're with them to go and arrest Christians. Now they're like, this guy can't see. And so, and he's telling them, because he's still the boss, hey, lead me into Damascus. Okay, we're still going to go get those Christians, right? No, I think the plan has changed. I think the plan has changed. I don't know what's going to happen, but I still need to go into that city, and I need you guys to lead me there. So fascinating that here is Paul, as I believe, brand new baby in faith, and he's completely reliant on strangers so to speak. As far as we know, these guys are unbelievers. And how fascinating it it is that this new convert, Paul, is needing non-believers to help guide him on this mission to Damascus so he can hear further instruction from Jesus. That might be a good lesson for us that just because somebody's not saved doesn't mean they're a bad person or an enemy. There is an enemy. His name's Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, okay? So sometimes we can get in these weird trips of like, you know, Christians. It's us versus them. We need to understand that that's not how it works. It's Satan is, he's, he's the bad guy, all right? He's the bad guy. So if you have somebody in your life and they're not saved, they're not the bad guy. They're not the bad guy. And I am so grateful for at times in my walk with Jesus where help has come from unexpected places. And sometimes those are unbelievers who show up and they're like, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel like I'm supposed to help you out. You're like, weird, (laughs) weird. God's in control, isn't he? He's absolutely in control. So these guys who saw something, heard something, but have no clue as to what's really going on have to lead Saul into Damascus. So that his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. That's pretty significant. In total darkness for three days. Hmm, interesting. Something significant happened not too, you know, long ago, prior to this story, that involved three days too of darkness. Oh yeah, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for 
You've been listening to another edition of Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us as we learned about the early church in the book of Acts together. What an incredibly powerful book of God's faithfulness. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. While you're there, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for worship and Bible study. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so we invite you to come just as you are. For directions and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We would also love to connect with you. Just drop us a note in the contact form to let us know if you've been blessed by this ministry. Would you also prayerfully consider partnering with us in this ministry? Support from people like you allows us to share the gospel in unique and amazing ways. If you'd like to donate, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Donations tab. Any and all donations are welcome and greatly appreciated. We thank you in advance for your generosity in partnering with what God is doing. Our website one more time is breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor James teaches more from the book of Acts right here on Bread for the Broken.